Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. The pandemic held up a mirror to the American church. Congregations that rarely step back to evaluate their endless calendars of events were forced to assess whether their ministry models reflected the mandates given by Christ in the example of the early church. For many congregations, what they saw in the mirror was not pretty. One East Coast pastor gave a common assessment. We're not really as open and involved in the community as we could be, as we should be. I see nice little buildings, I see fancy decorations outside on the lawns, and the steeple is still bold and standing. I just think that as a household of God, there's so much more we could do. For many, COVID-19 became a catalyst for change, an opportunity to recalibrate rhythms and to fall in better alignment with the church we are called to be in scripture. This collective pause to reflect in light of truly cataclysmic circumstances birthed our sixth major theme and the topic of today's podcast, Outside the Walls. Welcome to COVID and the Church. I'm your host, Aaron Hill, editor of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Join us as we unpack the results of Church Salary and Arbor Research Group's landmark study on the impact of COVID-19 on the American church. Download your free copy and follow along with our discussion by visiting churchsalary.com slash COVID study. To discuss this theme, I'm joined by two researchers with Arbor Research Group, Reverend Ebony Davis and CEO of Arbor Research Group, Dr. Terry Lenhart. Hey, thanks for having us, Aaron. It's good to be here, Aaron. Ebony, you wrote the chapter on this theme, quite literally. I remember you talking about it during one of our discussions back in 2022. How did this theme emerge in our research? And can you give us a quick summary of what do you mean by outside the walls? Well, by outside the walls, we mean churches who, to varying degrees, responded to the COVID crisis by reaching outside the walls of their church buildings. So these are churches that made efforts that ultimately engaged those who were outside of their congregation and sort of led to this um, renewed focus, I guess, on one another's. Mm. We saw this emerging really early on in the study through our focus groups with pastors. And you guys got to keep in mind that this is a lengthy study. So at this point, we still weren't quite out of the woods yet. And we heard pastors saying things like, this is a backdoor blessing or this help us to look at things differently and do things differently. So we talk a lot about the COVID pause, and then it mm. gave pastors an opportunity to really evaluate what was going on in their church, what was cluttering their church calendar, and if these things were really fruitful or if they were things that we were just doing. So when I talk about the, the pandemic and churches getting outside the walls, I think it was deeper than just outreach. Of course, we're going to all have our outreach programs, but I think, Aaron, it was you who used the term, it was an existential crisis. And mm. so it was an opportunity for us to really ask if we were reflecting Christ and the way that we engage the world and our neighbors in the community around us. Terry, you alluded in our podcast on The Great Revealer to one of my favorite quotes from the study. Uh, one of the pastors paused in a moment of self-reflection 
almost having sort of an existential crisis himself and noted that the pandemic caused them to ask, quote, who are we as a church without the calendar moving 100 miles an hour? I know I've been caught up in that relentless cycle. I'm sure you have as well, Ebony and Terry. What was it about the pandemic that created this existential crisis for churches and pastors that relied so heavily on people to come inside the walls for events and programming? Yeah, great question. Um, I love how you put it as well when you use the term existential, because, you know, it's the presence of a thing that makes it so. I exist to do ministry, and if I'm not able to do ministry like I've always done ministry, you know, as a pastor, I'm faced with a really a whole new game, and, and I don't know how to win at this. When I can't do what it is that I was trained and loved to do and feel called to do, and suddenly we didn't know, I mean, Ebony's right, this has been going on for a while. You know, there's a period where we didn't know what ministry would look like and for how long. For those that wanted to do the sacraments on a regular basis, how do we do that? How do we perform functions? How do we do things like funerals? And that that dilemma ranged across all churches, all ethnicities, all denominations, all backgrounds. And for years as a pastor, this way of doing ministry is what I know and do, and, and now it's no longer here. So, you know, we did rely on people being together, not just in the walls of the church, but in homes for small groups, at gatherings where I could mm. meet people, I could do the outreach thing that Eb was talking about. And I remember a pastor, not in our study, but who would just go into the empty sanctuary every week, every day of every week, and just start playing the guitar, longing for... <laughs> The gathering to be up front and leading and teaching and shepherding and not, you know, out of ego, maybe a little bit, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of that involved here. And just broadcasting every day for an hour, just trying to have some sort of connection. And so I think that that caused pastors to say, okay, what do I do? And there's a pastor that said, I think God allowed this to happen. You talk about a reset or a start over. Mm. So the church would respond and get us out of the mindset that the church is just people walking in the door. And I think that's a significant moment when pastors come to the realization that on their way to their work at their church inside the four walls, you know, and I pastored for years. Most of the people we drive by, I think Kerry Newhoff said this on his podcast a few weeks back. He said, you know, I, I realize that most of the people in my town that I'm driving by don't even know our church exists, don't care what's going on inside the four walls. And if we're going to reach our communities, then we got to get outside the walls. And, and I think that's what a lot of pastors, a lot of churches realized and, and focused on for a period of time. Ebony, building on the organizing metaphor that we've used for this study of this choose your own adventure novel, you talk in the chapter about a choice. Walk me through the choice that pastors found themselves faced with and maybe a few examples of how it played out. They could either decide we're going to do everything in our power to cling on to business as usual. We're just holding on until we can get back to church so we can get back into the building so we can get back to our normal routines. And for a lot of those churches, they, they sort of miss the opportunity. They sort of missed mm. what God was doing in many of the other churches during this time. And whether that was financial or uh, new members or a renewed vision or focus, they just wanted to get through this and pick up right back where they left off. Mm. The other option was for churches to say, you know what? We surrender our identity. We surrender being formed around routines and calendars, and we are opening space for God to do a new work in spite of this crisis. That we believe that God can move and do things even now. I had one pastor who described that as an invitation into the wilderness with Jesus. Um, and I mm. really like that. Yeah. 
Now, I kind of like to break this choice down just a little bit further mm. because I think there are groups who did this by force or by choice. And so let me explain <laughs> that, right? <laughs> okay. So the first is for churches that it really just started out of being about survival. Their, their primary purpose was not necessarily to do an outreach per se. They were just really trying to find some way to have some semblance of church. And they knew that they had to change. They knew they had to adjust. And so they started their online services. They moved their, their church services outside or did small things like that just to stay connected. Mm. And they end up being pleasantly surprised that some of these very small acts made themselves more visible and more accessible to the community around them. And that started to bear fruit. Mm. And that was really cool for them. Right. So this one pastor um, talked about this couple. They had taken their church outside. They were on the parking lot. And this couple one day just sort of wanders up and they join the church service and they were there for several weeks while they were outside. And then eventually they were allowed to go back into the building. And lo and behold, that couple followed them back into the building and behind mm -hmm. them came friends and family members that they were connected to. So these churches were brave enough to try something new. And they mm. were just excited as they saw how God blessed even their small efforts. So that's, that's um, one of them. The, the by choice, this was the group that I think said, you know, God is up to something. And I believe that this is an opportunity for us to reevaluate, to change some things, to get outside the walls in ways that wouldn't have been possible during normal times. And so when COVID hit, these churches were really intentional. Mm. One pastor said that their community involvement just went like into hyperdrive, right? Mm. And so one of the things that was really beautiful to me is that every church who wanted to go outside the walls could do so regardless of their size, regardless mm. of their resources, everyone who wanted to could. And so we saw this played out in all kinds of expressions. Of course, we know we had social media and the streaming and, and technology was one way, but there were a lot of efforts beyond that. We saw churches engaging the community as help centers. Um, there was one church that administered 30,000 tests, but then you'd have another and their, their ministry was just simply to like drop groceries on the doorsteps of people in the community that they heard were mm. sick. There were telephone ministries and porch visits and one pastor made all the homes in his congregation, church annexes. and. Um, encouraged his people, go out and love your neighbor. And so they partnered with organizations. They did bike ministries, like you name it. There was just a lot mm. of creativity there. And so these efforts really bore fruit in terms of finances, in terms of attendance, um, even in terms of new missions around the world because mm. of the technology. And so as I thought about this, it really reminded me of the parable of the talents. Like some were able to invest more than others but God mm. honored them all who returned on their investment. The only one that, that didn't honor the Lord was the one who buried his talent in the ground. Yeah. So Terry, that, that actually was one of the most interesting statistical conclusions I think that emerged from our research was churches that ventured outside the walls were more likely to see growth in terms of their attendance and finances, especially versus those who chose to stay inside to wait for things to return to normal. Like Ebony said, the ones that sort of hid the talent how did getting outside the walls help churches and how did it uh, potentially hurt others if they stayed inside? It may be helpful to remind people how we do the study. It's more than a survey. So when we do a project, because a lot of us have our doctorates, we do a, a triangulation, if you will, of three methods. 
and we do interviews and then we do focus groups and we did case studies as well uh, around the country. Ebony always, uh, since she's one of the original group members, she gets to pick uh, where she wants to go and she always chooses California. I don't know how that works out, uh, Aaron, but uh, <laughs> she's amazing when she gets on site and interviews uh, so well. And in that, in that moment, we're able to dig out not only stories, but also uh, through the survey do statistical significance. And it, it did show that those churches who invested more in their online presence during COVID saw an uptick. Uh, and, and there's a caveat to this, right? It'd be churches under 2,000. That was the, the weird part about this mm-hmm. stat. But churches under 2,000 who invested a lot in online presence during the early part of COVID saw, at the end of COVID, an uptick in their in-person attendance. And it was that spirit of what Ebony was just talking about. People coming in and seeing. And and for the first time, I think LifeWay's research suggested that 45% of Americans said they watched church online during the COVID pandemic. 45%, mm. you know, more than who would step into church. So this is a way to let people in to see who we are, to see how we talk, to see how we connect, and to give them an inside peek where they could come in the door. And my former church has seen an uptick post-COVID as a result of that too. Mm. So one of the things I think that, that happened theologically was this became kind of an Acts 6 moment when the early church mm. decided they need to help. And the focus moved from programs to people. We took that move, and for a fleeting second, I don't know, hopefully it'll continue on. <laughs> and I don't mean that, that we pastors weren't already focused, but that thing that, that Ebony and, and John talked about in chapter two, that adapting happened. And survival in the early days was at the forefront. How is it that we're going to help the church and our people survive? And so I think that's um, a significant step. And there's a lot of things to unpack there. You know, research shows that we're kind of moving away from that again. And I wish that we could continue to keep talking about people. Ebony, in the chapter, you talk about how churches spent time rethinking their models, their methods, their philosophies of ministry. And one of the things that they discovered or rediscovered was the importance of the community that already existed and in many cases was hurting outside the walls of the church. You talk about it in terms of an awakening. Talk me through some of these awakenings that emerged in focus groups and interviews that you had with pastors. I think COVID really helped churches to recognize that we were living in our comfortable silos and sort of barely noticing the community around us. And so with that awakening and sort of that that moment where I think God convicts us, I think it we had sort of a renewed passion that went along with that. One church that comes to mind is is a wealthier church, one of our larger churches in this study. And this church would send missionaries all over the world. And then the pandemic opens their eyes to the needs around them. And they realize mm. that the world was on their doorstep. This was in the Bay Area, um, one of the perks of being at Arbor uh, on, the, on one of these California trips. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, they realize in, the, in this very wealthy area that around them were a lot of people that weren't as fortunate as them. Uh, a lot of refugees had moved into the area. God had brought the nations right to their doorstep, and they'd hardly even noticed until COVID hit. Mm. And so for that missions pastor, it caused her to totally revamp their mission and vision and refocus in the local area. It wasn't that they were ignoring um, the call to go out into the world, but they knew that there was a work that they were supposed to be doing in their community that they had been largely ignoring up to that point. And so, like I said, once these congregations were awakened, um, it became a spark that really inspired a lot of these congregations. One of the churches that I got to visit in the Bay Area 
before I even got to go inside and ask the pastor the questions that I had prepared for him, um, he was so excited to walk the neighborhood a little bit with me and to show oh, wow. me what was going on in their community. Mm. And so he pointed one direction, says, here's where we walk down to meet widows so that they can get to church safely. And, and down there, um, that's the church that we were helping when they were going through hard times. And over here, this is where a lot of the people live that we take home kits to. And Chinatown is just down that way. And that's where we focused mm. our outreach. Um, so it was just really powerful to see how this small church had found a way to be more intentional about ministry in their community during the pandemic. So a lot of these churches poured a lot of resources into being a lifeline for their community during the pandemic with food and COVID resources. Other ones came up with some of those creative ideas I mentioned earlier about how to engage their neighbors and meet them where they were. But this awakening just helped them to be more cognizant of the community, more aware of their one another's, more willing to get outside of themselves. And so they really um, brought with them sort of an intentionality about loving our neighbors well. My name is Dan. I am pastor at Calvary Church in State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State University is located. I've actually been here going on 30 years. It's only my second church. So, Dan, in the sixth chapter of the report, you described the most extraordinary experience for your church as a time of watching the Lord entirely exchange your former ministry for something new and of God out of the void creating something new and into your utter weakness, God flooded the strength. You, I, I loved your quote, but you specifically mentioned at the end how God gave you the opportunity to completely shut down your previous operations and pray for God to open new doors of ministry in your community. So can you expand on that? What happened to your church during COVID that turned it into a net gain for you instead of a net loss? You know, I would say before COVID, we were definitely attractional. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's hard to grow a large church without being attractional, but we really had a, a missional heart as well. Came into COVID and every church went through that differently. But here in our community, we made the decision pretty early on to not meet in person. I, I got COVID in March of 2020, sickest I've, oh, wow. I've ever been for uh, as long as I've been alive, two wow. or three weeks of just, I didn't go into the hospital. Yeah, I didn't have the respiratory stuff, but was pretty sick. And so that that just kind of led into what are we going to do? How are we going to walk through this? And we made the decision to go virtual. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say probably a bigger part of it for me, though, during that time, even more so than what we were doing corporately was I just felt like over the next handful of months, uh, probably six or seven months, felt like God gave me three words. And I'm, I'm not a God speaks to me all the time kind of person, but, but these were kind of like God spoke to me. And I quote, the first one was, I want you to surrender control. And that was in the midst of being sick, you know, and, and mm. I was feeling like everybody else is moving forward. I'm, I'm behind because I'm sick. This is kind of the biggest thing to face us crisis wise. And I need to be leading and I can't. And, yeah. but it was just kind of this sense of God saying all the things I put on your heart, I'm doing you just, you got to give up control. And then the second word actually came as my last granddaughter was born. She was born on mm. the day that some of the racial stuff took place. And, and mm. we were in Minnesota when that took place. And, and in the midst of that, I just felt God saying, I, I want you to surrender the crowd. 
And part of surrendering the crowd was was just coming to the point of realizing, you know, when we're not meeting in person, so we can't we can't look at butts in the seat and bucks in the plate to figure out, are we doing better this week than last week? Mm -hmm. And so we developed a matrix, uh, an engagement matrix, Hmm. just some really simple stuff. You know, are people praying? Are they giving? Are they serving or leading in any way? Um, Just stuff like that. And what we found was in order to get, we had like seven different kind of simple ways to be engaged in the mission at Calvary. And what we found was that in order to get up to about 200, we had to drop it down to four out of those eight. Mm. And so we started saying, you know, we're not a church of two to 3,000. We're actually a church of two to 300 with a really large fan base. And and, oh. uh, and we just said, that's that's not really what we feel like God wants us to do. So that yeah. was part, surrender the crowd. And then the last word was surrender your voice. And when I got that word, it was kind of like, God, do you want me to, <laughs> you want me to be a pastor? Um, because control crowds and voice, um, that feels yeah. like three pretty, pretty key parts. So that was driving me personally. And then, you know, like a lot of churches, maybe more than some and not as much a, a, as others, but we, we lost people during that year and a half of not meeting in person. We lost people on both sides of three issues, COVID, how we dealt with that race, what was taking place there in politics. Mm. And so, you know, there's all this stuff kind of floating around in my head about being disappointed that in, in a time of great need, we were so easily divided and having this sense of crowd fans in the stands versus players on the field and and I don't know, I just, I, I came through that time just really convicted that the way we were doing church just wasn't going to reach the next generation. And it wasn't so much mm. that the way we were doing church was wrong. Um, mm. I think it worked in years past and decades past. I just think it has yeah. worked less and less. And in the decades to come, it will work less and less and less mm. continuously. And so for us, one of the convictions that I and my staff had as we walked through it was that we, we actually think part of the problem is that kind of crowd mentality. And, mm. and a big part of that is Sunday morning church, that everybody identifies church as being the place that you go on Sunday morning. And and I love Sunday mornings. I love our worship. I, I love to preach. Uh, I love to see big crowds. There isn't much that I don't love about Sunday morning, but we came out of that time and just felt like we need to deprioritize Sunday morning. And even in a stronger way than we had been, reemphasize the personal mission that everybody has. And so we, we came out of that and, mm. and we did a, a simple little thing um, that lost us some more people, but we said, we're not going to meet in person, Tractional Church. We're not going to meet in person the fourth Sunday of every month. We're going to call that CWOW Sunday, Church Without Walls Sunday, mm. and encourage people, give them tools, give them models, give them opportunities and ideas for how they will accomplish what we call our front yard mission, FYM, of just basically being on mission in your neighborhood, loving your neighbors. And, and so... Yeah. So that became a, a really, we were already kind of reaching out corporately, you, you know, that had been our kind of culture and vision over the course of the years. But even with that kind of corporate reaching out that we're actually kind of known for in our community, we still didn't have people on mission in their homes, their neighborhoods and stuff like that. So so that became a, a, a pretty significant part of yeah. moving out of COVID and into um, the next chapter for us. So that change, that church without walls, that was one of the things that stood out to me. Can you just expand on that a little bit? I mean, you mentioned it briefly there, but yeah. the idea that you would 
call every fourth Sunday church without walls and rather than gather in the building, encouraging people to do ministry like that. Honestly, that it's kind of a radical idea for uh, any church to come up with, let alone a large church with multiple campuses. Can you just expand on that a little bit? What does that look like and how has it played out yeah. in your church? So that vision statement of building a church without walls, that actually started in our hearts and in our church 15 to 20 years ago. That phrase has mm. been around and it's it's been a you know, over the course of the years, just trying to figure out uh, from time to time, from year to year, what does that look like for us to be a church without walls? Even when we we built a new facility out here on an amazing property outside of State College, and I, it was hard, you know, to to have this vision to build a church without walls and and then be raising millions of dollars for a church <laughs> with walls. Yeah. But even then, you know, we said, man, a church without walls builds facilities for the community. And so we interviewed people in the community, what kind of facilities are needed, what what is mm. lacking. And the property that we have is just this beautiful piece of creation. And and so we opened up the property to the community. Now we have bike trails, hiking trails, disc oh, golf, wow. the best best disc golf course in Pennsylvania. And uh, wow. And and even during COVID, the very first thing that we did was took a, an offering for community relief. And we raised 10 to 20 percent over the course of the two years, uh, closer 15 to 20 percent of our annual income, annual giving. Um, we raised wow. extra to give to the community, to give individuals who were hurting, to give to nonprofits, wow. to give to other churches yeah. that weren't making it. And uh, so that that kind of idea has always been there. I think the thing that really changed during COVID and coming out of COVID was this sense that we got to drill it down into the ordinary daily life of the individual. It can't just be a program. Church Without Walls can't be a program. It needs to be something that everybody is doing and that, and just to become part of who we are. And, yeah. and then, like I said, a big part of it was just realizing that as much as we have been trying to be a Church Without Walls, it's just hard when Sunday morning is is kind of what everybody thinks church is. And so how do we get people out of that mindset and, and mentality? And so that's kind of what we've been doing. And, you know, we've had good people, great people who, who left who just kind of like, yeah, you know, I think we're forsaking the assembling together of ourselves and, and uh, this isn't what church is about or this isn't what I want, you, you know, and mm. But we've gotten to the place now where most of the people who are at Calvary are here because of what we're doing, not in spite of what yeah. we're doing, yeah. and, and kind of gaining some traction in into the future as we go. So this whole theme of outside the walls was essentially a decision point that churches faced during the pandemic. Some churches, when they couldn't meet inside the building, were led to or inspired by the Spirit to question and reevaluate what the real purpose of church was in the first place. You know, what is our actual goal as a church? What are we trying to accomplish here? And so some churches like yours were, were able to pivot and move outside the walls in one capacity or another, while others just fought to return back to normal and, and get back inside the building. And, and what we saw was that uh, churches who figured out new ways to care for and, and minister to their communities witnessed God opening a lot of doors for them and, and moving them in, in positive directions. One of the shifts that we said we need to make is we need to shift from being a church about gatherings to being a church of scatterings. And so that, that became a major theme for us as everybody scattered to their homes. Yeah. What, what might God do there? Would you say that you're doing better off now in terms of attendance and giving and all these other metrics? How has the Lord responded in terms of yeah. all the changes that you guys have made? 
so part of it, you know, I mean, you, you go after what you measure. So part of it for us was changing our metrics. Yeah. So we basically have what we call a reach metric and that includes Sunday morning okay. worship, but it's, it's hidden in the, I don't know, hidden is the wrong word, but it's, it's woven <laughs> it's part in of it. through, it's, it's just part of the number. So, so for example, with our front yard mission strategy, it's pray first, love all, serve all and invite often. And, and, and so we invite everybody to have a hashtag, who are your six neighbors that you're praying for? And, and we count those six. If somebody is actively praying daily, weekly for their hashtag, we say that person has a better chance of being impacted by Christ than if they show up for one of our Sunday morning services. And so that becomes part of our reach and social media becomes part of our reach. So our reach is a, a big number, but it keeps it keeps me at least, you know, from looking at attendance every week. I honestly yeah. could not tell you how many people we have. And I mean, I, I look at the room and I can kind of gauge, yeah. you know, how full it is or how full it isn't, but I couldn't tell yeah. you how many we have. And then the real number that we focus on is engagement. And so we have adapted that engagement matrix of people giving, leading, are they discipling somebody, those types of things? Are they praying in our prayer ministry? Are they involved in their front yard mission? And, and that's, that's our main thing that we're keeping track of. And so the attractional numbers are not as good as they were mm. pre-COVID. We, we lost a gathering. You know, we're probably, I don't know, it seems like I talked to a lot of churches. I, I would guess, you know, that kind of number of we're keeping track is, is somewhere around 70% of what we were pre-COVID. Mm. But at the same time in this last year, we, we've had hundreds and hundreds of first-time guests. It's like the most significant run of people checking out Calvary first-time guests that we've had in years. Wow. And and I I know, at least anecdotally, you know, I but I, I keep running into those into those stories of yeah, I got invited here by my neighbor, you know, and, and that that's really wow. what we're what we're looking yeah. for, what we're aiming for. Yeah, that's exciting. You, you know, in an attractional church, you hear you have 37 seconds for somebody to decide whether or not they're going to come back a second Sunday. But that's not true if they were invited by their neighbor. You know, you, you have probably more like 37 days, you know, yeah. <laughs> for somebody to decide if they're going to come back. If they got invited by a neighbor and their neighbor yeah. sat with them and stuff like that. Yeah. I asked about the the metrics just simply because one of the things we observed is churches that made this a priority that got outside of the walls of the church experienced better outcomes and yeah. not just in terms of plates and pews, but also in terms of engagement and reaching yep. their community and all the things that you've discussed. So it sounds yeah. like uh, the Lord's really been blessing all that. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with the interview. Uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So one of the most fascinating parts of the initial quantitative study was this opening question that we asked. What was one of the most challenging or extraordinary things that happened during COVID? And the stories that we got were encouraging, but they were also heartbreaking. I literally spent days reading through all 90,000 plus words of these stories. And some of the saddest stories for me personally were the testimonies of pastors who simply lamented 
that nobody came to the church anymore because of COVID, there was this sense in which they just were paralyzed. They didn't know what to do. Well, if people aren't going to show up to church, what do I, what do I do? And what was even more said was the very next testimony you would read about a pastor who just went around and stood in people's front yards or talked to people in front of their houses. They were figuring out ways to get outside of the church. And so these stories of pastors and churches that were either unable or unwilling to venture outside the walls of the churches were hard to read because you couldn't just help but lament the missed opportunity. It felt like listening to a fisherman lament that a pre-cooked fish didn't jump out of the lake onto <laughs> onto his plate, right? Uh, thankfully, there were plenty of stories of hope and beauty uh, as churches ventured outside the walls. Ebony, you were a consistent voice of encouragement and hope during our research discussions, I have to say, uh, always focusing on stories of hope. And we're going to discuss that later on in the final chapter on beauty from ashes. But you describe this theme as rediscovering incarnational ministry. Uh, in the chapter. Can you unpack that theologically? What was it about COVID that helped some pastors and congregations to sort of reclaim the flesh and blood nature of ministry? Yeah, yeah. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We know what Jesus's ministry was on this earth. He touched people to heal them. He ate with them. He met them where they were. So he is not a distant God. He said, I am among you as one who serves. So if we're going to follow the incarnational example of Christ as his ambassadors, then our ministry has to do the same thing. Like our ministry has to be a ministry of presence. I'm thinking about this uh, pastor, a friend of mine who was a missionary for 30 years. And of course, missionaries, they know how to be among the people. And he retires from Mm -hmm. the mission field. He becomes a senior pastor. And on his first day, he's told, here are the hours that you will need to keep. And he looks at the hours. He realizes how much time is supposed to be spent in the church building. And he's really perplexed. Mm. And he says, what am I supposed to do in here for all that time? But that's where we are as the American church. Yeah. We, we are used to the building being the center of our ministry. Here's how I think COVID disrupted that. One that I think it gave us time to notice. I mentioned that earlier. It, it helped the church to see what was going on in the community, to notice our neighbors, to notice the pain, to notice the needs. There was so much on our calendars before that we didn't have time to slow down and Mm. see the needs right outside of our door, right? We didn't have time to love our neighbors because we had to get to church activities. Mm. It gave us time to evaluate what we were doing. Mm. And so it, it allowed us to ask the hard questions. Why do we do what we do? Is this just a tradition? Does this have Mm. a purpose? Is it effective? And I think most importantly, like, are we aligned with what God is doing right now? Mm. And in reevaluating things, I think it was just an opportunity to let God remove those things that were holding us back from his plan and his purpose at that time. And then I think it gave us permission to do something different. Mm. Hear about that pastor that said the pandemic cleared the deck. I like that. Right. So this included things like switching up programming. It hasn't been working for years, but we're still doing it. So (laughs) (laughs) the pandemic gave us permission to to switch that out, to release things, to try new and innovative ideas. And so a couple of things that were a gift to pastors. One, they could reset priorities without a lot of red tape. Right. Mm -hmm. They had like space to be not so restricted by the traditions and the expectations because everything that we knew it as church went out the window. So they didn't have all mm-hmm. that red tape. This one pastor said that he had been begging for tech for years 
He just wanted a website, he said. (laughs) (laughs) And he was always rebuffed, like, by his older congregation. We don't need that, right? But then Mm. when COVID hit, they had no choice but to trust him, to let him lead in a new way. And so he was able to implement this ministry strategy, this outreach strategy that he felt that God had placed in him all along. Mm. And then sometimes this was because the old guard had kind of moved on to to other churches. Um, And we know that there was a lot of that that happened during the pandemic. And it's always hard to lose members. But often that sort of untied the pastor's hands from things that they had wanted to do and not been able to do. So, so I really think that all of those things had to be in place that, that we needed time to notice so that we could be reawakened to the need that we needed to be able to evaluate how we were doing. Are we being the light of the world? And we needed just the right opportunity to sort of realign with the priorities of God. And so I think these things together gave us a chance, as one pastor put it, to sort of reimagine church. Yeah. I remember in one of the first churches that I served on staff, we we had this big program that took up two-thirds of our volunteers and took up at least six months of the calendar. And we had this meeting where we sat down and we were evaluating the effectiveness of it. And people kept saying, well, we had those two families join last year. (laughs) And we do this in ministry, and I'm sure you, you both have experienced this, where you're like, okay uh two families six months two-thirds of our volunteers we can't do anything else during that time frame is that the best we can do with that amount of effort it's only reached two families and so yeah the pandemic sort of preventing you from doing those activities gave us i think uh, churches the freedom to go okay there's got to be something better uh terry as we wrap up this theme feels like it could have been that it should have been something that resonated before the pandemic. We didn't need a disease to teach us this message. As we reflect on the pandemic and the path before us, how do you think churches can avoid the inevitable retreat back inside the four walls of of the building uh, if it hasn't already happened? Yeah, as I was listening to you share there about that we didn't need a a disease, uh, perhaps we did, because one of the difficult things to evaluate is our own preferences. And it's easy for us to Mm. see things that we already don't like and say, hey, we can jettison that. It's a little more difficult to see the things that we hold dear that may be holding us Mm. back. And I think that's how we can do better going forward, which means we need some checks and balances in the leadership structure so that we can Sit down and and sketch out on a whiteboard as a group to be able to say, okay, what are our values? And then how do they shape what we do? And then to really treat it like an external force, like a disease, like a desperate moment that we're limited. And okay, how do we reach people? How do we make sure we're communicating as clearly as possible? I don't think that, you know, this study connected as well about communication beyond technology, but we learned how to preach and teach differently. We learned how to do some things differently. We have been reshaped uh, because of this beyond technology, beyond, you know, being more aware of people. I think how people communicate is part of that with each other. I think that type of evaluation is the first step to be able to say, okay, what are our values and, and can we really do what's needed. Because secondly, I think attractional ministry has been found wanting and left mm. uh, kind of empty. And we've really been trying to attract people through programming and we just can't keep up. Uh, something different has to be attractional 
other than programming. It's got to be community. It's got to be connection. I grew up out of college in the Youth for Christ movement and Young Life and Crew and Navigators, all these campus ministries could really teach us something to say, okay, how is it that you go out? As Ebony was saying, which, you know, was a great conclusion to the whole theme here, you know, how can we be more focused in community or campus? And I've been dramatically shaped by that. Really, no matter what we do to make our churches more attractive, we're not going to attract a significant part of our community just through programming. And so, and I think the the third thing that I, I care about, and this is perhaps a little bit of a bias as you all were talking, I was remembering, I'm in a small group that's been together for about 20 years. It's what those in the small group ministry world call a legacy group. It outlives the program of church, <laughs> does it? We're all at different churches now, but we still meet every other Friday night. And I can get pretty oh, wow. emotional describing for you in 2020 what it was like for us to get on Zoom and to share mm-hmm. in the middle of the moment, to be a part of something that's a part of a church, that uh, this tight-knit group of five families that we call a family of families, that we've lived together life and death and transitions uh, for so many years, and it was uh, meaningful beyond compare. And I was making some notes about what that was like during COVID, and I was finding myself getting emotional because that connection with others during crisis is important. And the reality is that people in our communities have crisis all the time, and they need a church community to be around them and be supportive of them. And I think creating, fostering that, always putting on the table, what's our mission? How do we focus on people? How do we communicate the gospel? How do we care for our community? Those things uh, will drive us forward. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge because it's so easy to want to get back to what we've always had before, what's comfortable, what's normal. And we we got to remember that some of it was exposed for a period of time and not just the stuff that we didn't like, maybe some of the things we care about. So that humility is needed in the moment, I think. Ebony, I'll let you wrap us up here. There is a quote in the white paper. One of the pastors talked about COVID being a net gain. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to think about COVID as a as a net gain, as not a loss. Uh, there were, you know, I mean, we lost people. We lost a million people in the United States. So certainly there was a loss there. How, how, how has that been a net gain potentially for the church? Yeah. Um, I think through all of the disruption, once we got through all of that, and, it, and you're right, those the loss of life, the loss of connectedness that we had to go through, the pain of that we had to go through, those were all really hard things. But I think what this pastor was trying to say was that when the refining process was all said and done, um, that they were able to come back to a pure church, a church that really is more in line with God's priorities. And because they're more Mm. in line with God's priorities, that when it's all said and done, we're going to be able to be the church in a better way. We're going to be able to be the light of the world that God is calling us to be. And so when you look at it from, from that perspective, it does end up being a net gain because uh, we're who we're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining us to talk about this topic today, Outside the Walls. It's been a pleasure to go back through this content, to read this chapter. I encourage everyone to go uh, check out Ebony's chapter in the white paper. There's a lot more great stuff that we weren't able to cover here today, but thank you both for joining us. COVID and the Church is a production of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Aaron Hill, Terry Linhart, and Matt Stevens. Host, Aaron Hill. COVID and the Church is produced in conjunction with the Arbor Research Group and funded by the Lilly Endowment Incorporated. 
through a grant from the Economic Challenges Facing Pastoral Leaders Initiative. Director for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Tyler Bradford Wright is our audio engineer, editor, and composer. Artwork provided by Ryan Johnson. And our art director is Sarah Gordon. Thank you.